You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. So if you're looking for any type of batteries, whether it's for your truck, your car, your trail cameras, your rangefinder, stop into a local Interstate Batteries retail location. There are thousands upon thousands of them all over the United States. Talk with a battery specialist and get the batteries that you need to go on with your life. Interstate Batteries outrageously dependable. My name is Clay Newcomb and I'm the host of the Bear Hunting Magazine podcast. I'll also be your host into the world of hunting the icon of North American wilderness, the bear. We'll talk about tactics, gear, conservation, but we'll also bring you into some of the wildest country on the planet chasing bears. Rusty Johnson. Rusty Johnson is a longtime friend of mine, and I've always had a ton of respect for him as a whitetail hunter. I don't, there's, there's not another person that puts in more energy and has more passion and love for bow hunting whitetail deer than Rusty Johnson. So we have a really good discussion, a timely discussion, because it is go time for whitetails, and we have a timely discussion about all things deer hunting, his philosophies, my questions and philosophies, and uh, just a fast-paced conversation that you're going to enjoy. Hey, I've been carrying for the last week in the Arkansas muzzleloader season my CVA Acura. Man, I had a tough hunt. I did not shoot the gun at a deer, which I regret to say, but I got very familiar with this CVA Acura mountain rifle. It's got, a, it's got a shorter barrel, it's got a Cerakote finish, it's got the breakover design so that you can easily break the gun over, remove the breech plug, which I did one time because I forgot if the gun was loaded. And so I undid the breech plug and looked in the back of it, saw, the, saw my Pyrodex pellets, and was like, it's loaded. If I, and I did that in the field because I wanted to double check that the gun was loaded. These features are important. CVA makes an incredible lot of muzzleloaders, and they have an incredible guarantee. Check out CVA. If you have a muzzleloader, that's what you need to be shooting. W Hunting Supply. These guys have just now started carrying the new Alpha 200i. This is Garmin's first dog tracking, training, and now in-reach device. It's the first new device dog tracking device that they've come up with in eight years 
um, it has an in-reach inside of it. So you can satellite te- text message from anywhere. And it's a great product with a bunch of new features. This issue of Barony Magazine, the uh, November-December, has a point-by-point um, little write-up written by W about all the new features. You can check it out. But W Hunting Supply, anything you need for dogs, anything you need for dogs, you need to be supporting our friends, Buddy Woodbury and his team, W Hunting Supply. Northwoods Bear Products, man. You've heard me say it so many times. If you're baiting bears, it makes no sense not to be using this stuff. Um, Bear baiting is, for the most part, over. Even though we have, I have successfully baited bear in early November here in Arkansas. And if I was going to do that, I would absolutely be using some Northwoods Gold Rush Fire Grease Additive and any, any part of their product line you could use right now make a loud scent on a bear bait to attract bears check him out northwoodsbearproducts.net hey let's get to the conversation with old rusty johnson the whitetail ninja rusty they have an instagram group called whitetail warfare so you can check them out on instagram man rusty this is uh this has probably been a long time coming having you on the podcast because yep. uh, you you have been an influential figure in my whitetail world for sure. Uh, we were just Colby. We were just looking at that buck mm-hmm. right there. That's the way I met Rusty Johnson. Yeah, two thousand seven. Mm-hmm. You how long have you scored for Pope and Young? So, so uh, Rusty's a score. Yeah, I started for Pope and Young in two thousand four. Okay. Uh, I also score for Buckmasters, and I started with them in 1995. It was the very first year that they started the record keeping. Uh, yeah. And I started with them. I was in the very first class with them. Buckmasters in 1995. Yep. I'll be done. I was in the very first class. My score number is number nine. Really? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I've done a lot for them and uh, enjoyed every bit of it. Yeah. Right on. Well, so this is the way. This. Let me tell you how. Rusty, so he scored that deer for me back in 07, and that was the first big deer I ever killed, Rusty. I mean, I'd killed a, I guess I'd killed a, a you know, 125-inch deer before, which for us is a big deer. For Arkansas, oh, yeah. with a bow, 125-inch deer in northwest Arkansas, I'd spend my whole season every year trying to kill a deer like yeah. that just to set the record straight. But that deer was a 160-inch-plus deer. Yeah. I remember I brought it to you and your dad up at uh, – what was the name of that sporting goods store? Uh, Sportsman's Warehouse. Oh, yeah. We used to call it the Temple. Yeah. <laughs> we called it we called it the Temple. Let's go to the Temple. That was back before the internet when we ordered everything online, but going to right. a sporting goods store was like a big deal. Yeah. And you had me meet you up there, but anyway, mm-hmm. we've been good buddies ever since then. We've never right, really yeah. hunted together, but we've Every year we stay in touch about mm-hmm. what's going on, and and, and we Matt, score some we score some uh, contests yeah. together. Yeah, uh, your you know your official score now and everything, and yeah, uh, we started doing that, and I enjoy that every year when yeah, we that's meet up kind to of do our that. annual rendezvous. Yeah, uh, when I meet up with you and your son Rustin, who's yeah. a friend of mine too, he's a mm-hmm. good deer hunter. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, nah, hey Colby, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this guy is a very good deer hunter, <laughs> like top level deer hunter. Really, yeah. he puts uh, in he puts in as much effort as anybody mm-hmm. into inside the hunting season. I do put a lot of time in. Yeah, sure yeah. do. And that's I mean that's what I want to talk to you about. So like, th- the cool thing about this conversation is 
it's going to air tomorrow, which, what's today, the 28th of October? Sounds right. <laughs> um, so it's going to come out on maybe the 29th of October, which is like, I mean, this is the time that we wait for all year long. Yeah. You're it, lucky that I'm here. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Th- this was, just to give a little context, this was totally spur of the moment. Yeah. I knew something that Rusty was doing. I knew it was raining. Yeah. And I was like, hey, would you come over here and yeah. let's talk about whitetails? <laughs> yeah. I've, I've been hunting daylight to dark pretty much every day, rain yeah. or not. And uh, mm-hmm. I was going to take just a little bit of a break. And it, it was perfect timing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, right on it, uh, man, what, okay. Let me ask you a question. Do you, uh, I was thinking yesterday because I've got a deer story. I want to tell you, okay, okay. That happened on October 27th yesterday. Do you, do you remember dates really well when it comes to deer hunting? Uh, not really. Not, okay. not specific dates. Okay. Like with deer, like, could you like go through a catalog and say, I, killed that deer on that day that deer on this day saw that deer on that day uh yeah i could probably like take you to my trophy room and point at each deer and say hey i killed that one november the 7th at whatever you know i could probably do that but as far as like seeing deer i've either got to write it down or log it in my phone or something because i i don't have that good of memory well i I was gonna say there's about a 14 day window during the year that I remember dates really well. Mm-hmm. And that's from October 25th to about November the 10th, 15 mm-hmm. days there. Mm-hmm. And I can recall like like when close hunting buddies saw a buck, like my father-in-law, I follow him real close in white to hunting. Well, I remember a deer that he killed on October 23rd. I remember like sightings and like, anyway. You got a good memory. Well, I don't think I do. <laughs> I just, I think... It's it's really interesting to me how like you can key in under this one little 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 section of the calendar mm-hmm. and be so focused on it. Here's what I here's something I did yesterday, Rusty, was like we're looking at some of the deer that I've killed just here in the office. Like those deer are easy to remember. Mm-hmm. What I want to remember and learn from is the big buck encounters that I had that I didn't kill the buck mm-hmm. like yesterday. Mm-hmm. And last night, because I came home from this encounter yesterday, and I just thought, man, that was awesome. It was heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And I know you've had some heartbreaks over the years. Yeah. It was heartbreaking that I didn't kill this deer, and I'll tell the story. But, geez, this buck read the script. Everything was perfect. It was a beautiful day. I mean, like, it, it just, just kind of like water slipped through my hands. And I, 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 I got to, I wrote down seven, let me see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven dates of deer that have happened just like that over the years. Some of them not to the day, some of them just to the year and the yeah. general time frame. But I started thinking about the big buck encounters that got away from me. You right. know, you right. follow me? Oh, yeah. Because mm-hmm. you can learn just as much from those mm-hmm. as you can the ones that are on your wall. Because right. like I didn't kill that deer yesterday. Absolutely, yeah. But he he was there, ready to be killed. Mm-hmm. But uh, now, when's your favorite time to what's what's your favorite three days to hunt? Favorite three days? Yeah, I'd say uh, October thirty first, November first, November second. Really, that's my favorite. Really, mm-hmm. and that would be specifically for Northwest Arkansas or um, other places. <clears throat> I would say 
Arkansas and Kansas. Of course, I hunt Kansas a lot. I didn't draw this year, yeah. but I hunt Kansas almost every year. And those three days right there are my favorite. The money days, huh? I mean, that's that's just my favorite days. Yeah. I mean, I've had the most encounters. I probably killed the most deer during those three days. Yeah. Um, I probably couldn't nail down and tell you exactly why, but probably because it's right before they start really running around you know running five miles this direction five miles that direction because you know the days following that they really get wild i mean they go to running around and stuff and they're not really there you know yeah yeah and to me those three days are my favorite so you think you can kill deer that you kind of know about almost or, or just they're a little bit more predictable like is that what you're saying i, I think so yeah 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 but that's my favorite three for sure. i would i would have to totally agree with those dates i mean like especially for here have you have you heard people talk about the peak conception dates for northwest arkansas i've heard a little bit about do it do you remember any of those because i no okay i i just before i said this i wanted to see if you had updated in intel because there was a study that was done I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, maybe longer, it, it, where they did a, a fetus study, like roadkill deer, like pulling fetuses out, mm -hmm. and they could track back conception. And the peak conception dates in northwest Arkansas were like, uh, I want to say November the 5th through like November the 8th, which is sort of early. Yeah. That's but it lines up real well with what you just said. Yeah. And what I would would see as well in terms of you know from about right now through about november the 6th or 7th mm -hmm. it's really good yeah now if you opened it up not just pin it down to three days you know it would be just what you said a while ago like october the 25th through you know november the 6th 7th somewhere along in there yeah i mean there's a pretty good gap right there that i would like to be in the tree you know all day yeah and you know i like to hunt trees all day long <laughs> i just don't like to get down man that's that's what i would know you uh, of as probably more than anything like there's characteristics of guys hunting mm -hmm. you love sitting all day i do T tell me tell me your strategy uh well um i don't i don't know i mean the strategy my strategy goes really deep you know i like to shed hunt yeah. And that right there is the key to my strategy. When I'm shed hunting, I'm picking up antlers, but I'm also looking at potential hunting spots, Yeah, even nailing down a tree. Because, I mean, there's no more proof than getting a shed in your hand that there's a big buck in that area. Yeah. So, I mean, he could be in a mile radius. He could be in a five-mile radius. But when you pick that shed up, you know he was there. He stood right so there. So I start looking from that point. He was standing right there. So I start looking from that point. And I start looking at, you know, the lay of the land and, you know, you know, looking for their travel routes and stuff. You can tell a whole lot, you know, like in February, March, you can tell a lot about what they're doing. Yeah. And that is where my strategy starts right there. Yeah. So what do I, you tell me about uh, what you're looking for inside of your honey if you could uh, distill it down and even describe the terrain a little bit rusty just because i mean yeah. people listen to this you know if they're i don't know I, there's no people could be from anywhere listening yeah. to this but like what's northwest arkansas like what are you looking at 
So, I mean, you know, these Ozark Hill country bucks are really tough to hunt. I yeah. mean, I mean, if you're out there hunting, you're not going to see 20 to 30 deer a set. You may not even see a deer on yeah. an all-day hunt. Yeah. They are really tough. But, you know, everybody talks about the traditional, you know, pinch points, saddles, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, they're good, but that's not what I'm looking for. I mean, mm. these bucks like to travel on the side of ridges. Uh, there may be a lot of ridges that come together and they travel through that where they're, they may not be on the top. There may be scrapes on the top. You know, a lot of people like hunting scrapes and I do hunt scrapes too, but I look off the beaten path. I mean, if you see like a really beat out trail coming around the edge of a ridge, mm -hmm. you need to look either above it or below it. There'll be a real dim trail and that's where your buck is. And that may be 50 yards from the main, main trail. Hmm. So you, you got to look at things like that. I mean, it's not as simple as just going out there and finding a pinch point, finding a saddle, although they're good. But I look for different things like uh, trails on the side of the hill. And uh, a lot of times that's tough to bow hunt. You have to, you know, put a game plan together to see how you're going to, you know, intercept that deer because it's tough to hunt on the side of a hill or like yeah. in the bottom in a ditch or something. Yeah. But I try to hunt different things like that, and it's it's worked for me. What about during like the the chase phase, the rut when these deer are moving around so much? Would you not hunt these real generic travel areas then? Uh, yeah. I mean, when they're chasing does and stuff, you know, the does are going to be where food is and. When they're really chasing, I mean, I focus on food. I mean, yeah. that's just that's just what I do. Yeah, but, but I mean, like, pin, I mean, they're gonna go, they're gonna run through pinch points and stuff like that, and saddles. I mean, because I'm all trying works. to distill down what you're saying because, like, uh, like, like right now, I feel like I need to be hunting the, just the does. You know, just yeah. like hunting where yeah. the does are, and the does are going yeah. into these kind of normal travel areas I, yeah. so like right now are you hunting down like hunting kind of more obscure travel well, areas well i'm right now i'm hunting really close to a bedding area mm, and okay. i know the does are bedding there and you know the place where they're feeding the the most is probably about 200 yards from there but i'm hunting really really close to the bedding area almost inside a little bit of the bedding area yeah. So, I mean, they got, they're not going to stand up all day long. I mean, they got to bed at some point. Yeah. And a lot of times they'll, they'll just bed down where they're eating. Mm -hmm. But yeah. I try to, I, I really push the limits. I mean, I, I don't really hunt traditionally. I mean, it, it's hard to explain, really. I mean, he's but holding out I, on us. I <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. But no, I'm not holding out. I'm just saying that, you know, I push the extremes. You know, I, I sometimes I hunt right in the middle of the bedding area. And a lot of people say, yeah. you're stupid for, you know, for just going in there and blowing deer out. But, you know, and I may be stupid. I don't know. But, well, let's describe what you like this bedding area that you're in. What does it look like? It's just a really high stem count. I mean, you know, you got really open woods, uh, and it's it's terrain driven too. I use uh, Onyx a lot. It's got yeah. topo on it, and yeah. you know they'll bed down on the side of ridges. It may not even be a high stem count, uh, but they really like high stem count because it it's, makes them feel safer. I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah, just but, thicker stuff. Yeah, yeah. But a lot of times, uh, you know, and another thing is catching these big bucks in in the daylight. You know, when they're chasing, I mean, 
they're going to be chasing all day long. But yeah. like right before that, those dates that I give you, you know, they're not. You know, catch them in daylight's tough. I mean, really tough. And you got to get close to where they're bedding down to be able to catch them in that window right before they go back to bed. In this big timber of the country like we're hunting, though, I mean, it's hard It's hard for me to just pin down right where they're bedding, though, Rusty. You know what I'm yep. saying? Like, just because it's like, there's, it's, like, you take this terrain, like, right here mm-hmm. by my house. Like, there's real thick stuff just, like, right there Mm -hmm. and then there's some open woods but there's also real thick stuff like 500 yards from here so it's like it's hard for me to know like exactly where they're bedding like in open woods where you've got thousands of acres and there's no like per se bedding area i used to own some property and it was just in missouri and it was just big timber and when we bought it the very first thing we did was cut we done some selective cut, but we also drew on the map areas where we wanted to create our bedding area, and we just basically clear-cutted it yeah. and made a bedding area. But in this hill country, in these Ozarks, you can't do that. So, I mean, you just have to look for, like, specific terrain types. I mean, like, when I'm shed hunting, I find all kinds of bedding. You would not believe the places where I find where they're bedding. I mean, some really steep ground. There okay. may be a log. They like laying by logs, mm. Uh, mm. Uh, you know, blowovers, you know, stuff like that. I mean, I find all kinds of stuff like that, and it, and it gives me good ideas where to get when, when deer season gets here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Any consistency and I mean, I guess shed hunting, though, you're finding th- these are these – deer's late winter it is bed, so maybe they could change a little bit do you, do you find consistency uh, in- i do because i mean you know basically the food that they're eating now they're eating late winter too okay i mean that's so just what i found it's, it's yeah. pretty similar it's pretty well, then is there a consistent uh slope that they like would you say out of 10 times would a buck bed on the south side five of those times I mean, is there any consistency that you've seen? Uh, well, I've heard people say south slope, north slope, all that. But in my my experience, I find sheds on on all of it. Random, random. So I it's mean, more I, I kind of micro uh, terrain feature, yeah. vegetation feature driven. Yeah, like so, it's like it may be on the north side. But it's because yeah. there's cover and the wind and, is right. Yeah, it may have been what the wind was that day or, you know, what the weather conditions were that day. I mean, they may bet on the north slope or the south slope. Yeah. Could be weather driven, too. Yeah. I don't know how to explain it, but I'd just say, you know, there's 50-50. And I yeah. found a lot of sheds. Yeah. I mean, that's one of my passions is. Shed hunting. That's, that's probably second behind bow hunting is, yeah. is shed hunting. Yeah. Think about this. Like. I often think about these places that I hunt, and if you had to, if if I told you, Rusty, go out there and sit down in a place where I where I will never find you, mm-hmm. like uh, because like where I hunt, and and I I'm learning the older I get and the more mature of a hunter I become that I'm usually my own worst enemy. Mm-hmm. like in terms of actually executing strategy like on this farm i hunt over here um this i hunt one bigger farm that's about 600 acres man i would do the same thing every year yeah now it's produced some success but i mean would i want more success yes but like 
I pretty much, like, if you were to map over the last, I've hunted this property for almost 20 years. Mm. If you were to map my movements on that property, mm-hmm. there would be big holes where I don't go. Not intention, not like trying to preserve the place. Right. But like, I do the same thing every year. Like, I hunt yeah. this stand, I hunt this stand, I scout here, I scout here, I scout here. And like, if you kind of stepped back and looked, you would see these big holes. And I think probably that's, deer know that. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. like they 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 respond to human pressure and go to places where humans aren't, and it seems like kind of rational. Well, if you're a good deer hunter, you go into the places where the other hunters won't go. I mean, we hear that on Facebook you hear all, it all the, the time. time. You hear it all the time. It's way harder than that because it's not just walking further. Right. It's more nuanced than that. Like mm-hmm. there, I'm quite certain that deer use that terrain over there on that 600 acre property. Like, I understand about 20% of their movement there, mm-hmm. and that's probably made me an above-average deer hunter. I'm, my point is, I really, the, the deer are using that property in 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 ways, and I don't feel like I'm capitalizing on it as yeah. good as I could. Does that make sense? Well, I mean, have you went in there in the off-season and walked around and just looked? I've spent a lot of time on that place in the winter. You I have? really have. I mean, just because I've Like I've every hunted, inch of it? Maybe, probably not. Yeah. Well, that's that's one thing that I, I strive to do. Like the areas that I'm hunting, whether it's private, public, whatever, in the off season, I go and I learn every square inch okay. of that property. And then after going in there, putting, it's a different than looking at a map than putting boots on the ground. Yeah. In the off season, I put boots on the ground and I look at every square inch. Then I go back and I look at my map and I'm I'm thinking I'm putting everything together. It's like a pieces of a puzzle. Yeah. And you look at it and you think, you know, that deer is traveling this direction. I've been hunting over here. I move around a lot. Just yeah. like yesterday, I was in the stand all day long. I saw one really nice really nice eight point but it's a spot i've never hunted really you'd never hunted there? i had never hunted this particular spot and uh rustin had some game cameras in there my son uh-huh. and he said can you go pull the cards out of that and i said well i guess after i get down from this i was hunting a different area and it was already dark i go in there i i check a lot of cameras at night okay Mm-hmm. I mean, because I hunt daylight till dark. If I'm checking cameras during hunting season, it's at night. Yeah. And a lot of times in the summer, I'll go at night. Okay. I, I won't get into all that right yet. But um, so this spot yesterday is a spot I had never hunted before. Mm-hmm. I like to move around a lot. Okay. We got a lot of different places and we've got them all mapped out. We've got them all pinned on on X. And I've got trees picked out already. I hunt a lot out of a climber, especially on public. There's a lot of mature timber, and you have good trees to climb with a climber, and it's really mobile. You don't have to put up a, a lock-on or whatever, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I do carry lock-ons in, too, and put them up and then take them down when I uh, use them. But, uh, yeah, this spot yesterday is a spot I've never even hunted before. Wow. You had yeah. Pretty, you saw a lot Rustin of had some cameras in there. He had some good bucks on camera, and uh, so – I said, I'm going to go in there and hunt. He's like, well, we've never even been in there hunting before. And I'm like, well, there's deer in there. We got, we've got vid- uh, video there's on two cameras. Qu- two questions I've got. I want to talk about moving stands. Mm-hmm. I, I, I want to ask you a personal question. But I, but before that, how are you getting pictures of bucks 
Because I know you're not using feed or any kind of no. scent attractant or anything no. in these places you're hunting. No. How are you getting pictures of bucks? Uh, a lot on scrapes. You know, okay. deer run scrapes a lot at night. Yep. A lot of activity at night. And, that's, and if you'll notice on our page, uh, a lot of our videos are at night of bucks running scrapes. Yeah. And that's not necessarily where we're going to hunt. Where, where we're getting it's just these, a good place to get inventory. It's it's a good place to get inventory yeah. is is primary scrapes. And uh, that's where we get a lot, especially, well, actually, we get a lot of our content as far as buck inventory on scrapes year-round. Yeah. We have cameras on scrapes year-round. It's not and just a fall. Work they work them year-round. I don't yes. care if it's July. We've got bucks running scrapes. Uh, working scrapes with velvet i mean they work them year round man i left a camera out last year um and it just so happened you know i changed the batteries like late winter mm -hmm. and i just was like ah, i just leave it up and it was over scrape mm -hmm. i incredible pictures yeah. uh, of all stages yeah. of antler growth those deer i mean yeah. working it like putting their scent on that licking branch yeah uh, I don't. I don't necessarily know. I saw them paw in the ground. Do you see them? No. They're mainly working the licking branch. In the especially in the summertime, they they won't paw the ground. Okay. Very seldom. But I paw the ground for them. I get that good the soil aroma coming up and stuff. Yeah. And uh, I go ahead and rake it out and stuff. Yeah. But you won't ever see them. But they, even in velvet, they'll they'll put their antlers up in those licking branches and stuff and work them good. Yeah. I mean, we've got hundreds you know, and hundreds of videos i said just yes a couple of days ago i made a post and i was sitting over a scrape it was uh october the 26th or 5th and uh and i made mention it was like an instagram story and i made mention i was sitting over a scrape and after i said it i wanted to come back and qualify my scrape idea and that's like and it's this i'm not sitting over that scrape hoping to kill a buck working that scrape. Now mm -hmm. he might do that. Yeah, I'm. I was sitting in that spot because that was an area that that's a travel area. Right. And bucks mm -hmm. make primary scrapes. Right. In travel areas. Right. I mean, they, they, it's a it's a scrape that's designed yeah. to communicate to the whole deer herd. Yeah. And so they're going to put that scrape not in some obscure place. Right. They're going to put it in a in a place that yeah. there's a lot of travel, a lot of movement. Yeah. And so you're hunting there, not for the scrape, but for the reason that the scrape is there. Right, exactly. It's a travel area. Exactly. And, yep. uh, because there used to be this idea that, oh, the buck's checking his scrapes as if he's going to go out of his normal routine to go check a scrape. Yeah. Like, like as if that buck put a scrape yeah. in like a weird spot that he usually wouldn't go to. No. Yeah. You know, and I think that's and also, common sense. Also, I believe that a lot of bucks check scrapes and not even go up to the scrape. Yeah. You know, they'll, they'll go downwind of that scrape. It may be... 50 100 yards and they'll they'll check that scrape yes but they won't be on that scrape mm -hmm. so that that comes into some you know hunting strategy right there right and that goes back to the like on the sides of hills and stuff i mean that i think a lot of people are missing i'll put a camera on a scrape and i'll also go down you know a lot of times scrapes on top of a ridge or whatever yeah i'll go down below that scrape and find some of those real put dim another trails trail out. Okay. and put another trail camera out Okay. But since trail cameras have come up, that's a lot of our strategy right there. We run trail cameras 365 days a year, and mm -hmm. we run a lot of them. Yeah. And, I mean, we spend a lot of time, and that tells tells a big story right there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I, 
there's a place that I hunt that is so it's it's super tough to hunt, but I've got uh, I've got a bunch of trail cameras out over there, and I've almost decided that I'm just happy getting good camera pictures of deer over there mm-hmm. and i'm not even worried if i ever kill a deer there just because it's so much fun getting pictures of these deer <laughs> yeah but uh no i and in that place i leave cameras out pretty much yeah. year round as well and i've been learning a lot um th- okay here's here's where i was wanting to go back to you with is okay here's a question that a guy would have he hunts in a place more let's just say morning and evening maybe he doesn't sit the whole day you know he gets down and he sees moderate deer activity or or maybe not much deer activity Mm -hmm. but he's got a lot of confidence in the spot because Mm -hmm. of sign because of the data he's gathered about this spot Mm -hmm. it's the it's it's prime time it's like right now Mm -hmm. do you move to another spot but uh, let me build let me build the case even bigger okay is that james lawrence my old hunting buddy down the washtals that's kind of a master mountain deer hunter he he's had this philosophy for years and uh, and he said he likes to hunt a spot three days from daylight till dark. And he says, if you do that, you'll kill a deer. And he realized this now that there, there may be, that's not the, always the best way. But my other buddy, who is a very good deer hunter down in the mountains down there too, that I have a ton of faith in, he wants to move. He's like, Clay, if you go into a spot and sit for a morning hunt and don't see a deer, get the heck out of there and go somewhere else. Like, Even if there's hot sign and I mean, he, he really likes to move. Yeah. And so, you know, he capitalizes on this like first time in, and I'm not saying he wouldn't hunt a spot over and over. I mean, he, he, he might, but like if he gets skunked, he's moving. Yeah. And so he's capitalizing on this like first time. So he hits it because we all know right. the first time in is often really good. Yeah. Where James would be like, Find that sign and just stick it out. He said, you may not see a deer for two days, yep. but on that third day, you're going to kill that buck. What do you think? All right, so there, there's people. Is that a good question, Colby? That is a good a question. Great question. Yeah. There's people What's your on bo- answer? I don't have one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there's people on both sides of the fence yeah. on this deal. So one of the best deer hunters that I know is my dad, and he would go along with the three-day philosophy, and that's okay. kind of what I would that that's where I would lean toward. I okay. like moving, yeah. Uh, but I will if the sign's good and I know for a fact there's good bucks in that area. I'll stick it out. Yeah, I will. Yeah. I mean that's that's just what I do. Well, see, that's my philosophy too, Rusty, is to try to just stick it out and not be validated by deer sightings. Yeah, I mean, like, cause man, when you it. it, it you got to be able to sit through some tough sits oh, to man. kill one. Yeah. But listen to this. I've been doing that for a couple of weeks. I've hunted hard over here, and there's been a couple of reasons. I hunted hard early, which I usually don't quite as much, mm-hmm. but I was getting pictures of this a big deer, Yeah. and I, I felt like I could get him kind of in the pre-rut on a feeding pattern. Right. I hunted him a lot. Well, I... I I don't know where he's at now. He's not anywhere around here, that deer I was after. And uh, so just yesterday, maybe this is a good time to tell my story. Mm-hmm. I just was like, I'm getting out of here. I'm going to a totally new place. And so I did that. Drove over to another property I have access to hunt. Went in there. 
hung my tree saddle in a brand new spot. And that's a spot I had a lot of history with. Yeah. Don't have a single camera up over there. I mean, I don't mess with this farm much just because of the, I, I just go over there and hunt and I, and I scout and, but I have 20 years of history. So I kind of knew where I wanted to go. Right. Climbed the tree at three o'clock yesterday. The temperatures here yesterday were just cool. incredible. Mm-hmm. It was high temperature was like 45 degrees. Mm-hmm. It was, it rained most of the day. You were out in the rain. Oh yeah. I didn't get in the stand till three o'clock yesterday. And, uh, I'm and where I was sitting is that, okay, it, there's three features that funnel these deer into this pinch. Mm-hmm. There's the back corner of a pretty big field, okay? And we all know that deer, rather than, you know, if they're going from point A to point B, and there's a field in between them, mm-hmm. and they don't want to walk across the open field, they'll hit the back corners of these fields, right. you know? Mm-hmm. So a back corner, usually there's a lot of deer sign. Mm-hmm. So there's a corner, but there's also a big, deep hollow that comes up from the other side of this field edge. So there's a big deep draw that heads up right there. Yeah. Deep enough that it funnels deer. And then there's a mountain that is on a third feature that funnels these deer into about a, probably an area that's a hundred yards wide by 80 yards wide. So it's not like a tiny little 30 yard wide pinch. It's mm-hmm. fairly good size pinch. Yeah. But, I've got kind of in the center of it and I climbed up in my tree saddle. I'm using a, I'm using a tethered phantom saddle. Have you looked at those at all? I've not. I, uh, I've, I've actually been thinking about getting the saddle. I've started looking cool. into it, but they're pretty cool. Yeah. They're, they're, I've used them a lot this year and, and last year too. I like them because of their mobility. Yeah. Um, so I just got up at 17, 18 feet, three o'clock was in the tree hunting. At 3.30, I see a doe coming down the hill, just, I mean, coming, like, right right to me, or, you know, within shooting range. Mm-hmm. And uh, the way she was moving, I could – it didn't strike me as odd, but it, what struck me as odd was how of a direct line she was taking and at the time of day she was. Mm-hmm. You know, like, your first – the first time you see a deer, you, you gather so much data – I thought it was unusual that she was on her feet at 3.30 in the afternoon and that she was moving with that much intentionality at 3.30 in the afternoon. Right. Because she was headed towards kind of these fields. Well, I see movement behind her about 40 yards, and I see a deer, Rusty, that was big enough that immediately, without even seeing his horns, mm-hmm. I knew that it was a shooter buck. And mm-hmm. for me, a shooter buck is a pretty good one. I'm not, I'm not measuring inches. I'm probably a lot like you, Rusty. We're not we're not necessarily saying we're after a hundred and forty inch buck. No. We're after a mature Ozark right. four year old mm. type deer. Yeah. I mean, is that what you're yeah. after? Yeah. Yeah, that's I mean, what I'm after. And and I saw this deer and I mean without even seeing his horns, I said, That's him. Yeah. I mean, I grabbed the bow. Got ready. And and then he comes into full view, you know, at probably sixty yards, and I can just see a full rack. I mean, just a good rack and it. I ended up watching him for a long time. Is a nice, probably 135 inch eight point, which is for around here, is I'd I'd spend my whole season to kill that deer. Yeah, big body, big neck, and the wind was blowing out of the north. And so if I'm sitting in a tree, just like this right here, the wind has hit me in the side of the face. So it's blowing. The wind's blowing off to my right. Okay, 
And I, so I'm looking at all this in front of me. It's not an ideal wind, but it's a pretty good wind. Well, just the way that deer was coming, she came in the worst possible way for my wind. <laughs> and if the buck had been right behind the doe, like if he'd have been right on her, I think I would have had a shot at the deer. But the doe was about 40 yards in front of the buck. Mm-hmm. And so the doe cuts my wind. Mm-hmm. And oh. She slams on the brakes. Yeah. And she she doesn't freak out. She just she stops. Mm-hmm. And what does the buck do? Obviously, he stops. Mm-hmm. And so he's 40 yards behind her. Yeah. The doe is at 30-ish yards right here. And, I mean, I'm locked and loaded waiting for this but i'm ranging you know because this doe's coming i'm ranging the doe Mm because i know that buck's gonna be right there i mean just the epitome of a whitetail situation and uh (laughs) but she slams on the brakes and then i look back to him and he is actually 45 yards from me but i mean he's on red alert and long story short she milled around and never spooked but she just turned and just kind of catwalked back out of there and uh the buck jumped the fence and milled around and I probably watched them for a total of five minutes and finally they just went back the way they came but yep. she absolutely smelled me mm-hmm. and uh, never had a shot at the buck I mean not even a chance of a shot I mean it was just too thick um, but uh, I said all that to say that was my new spot you yep. know I jumped to somewhere new and was just amazed at the the deer activity. Now, I ended mm-hmm. up seeing seven deer throughout the evening, which to me for that area was just average. I actually anticipated seeing more deer than that there because there's a lot of deer over there. Yeah. Um, but anyway, because we were talking about do you set in the same spot over and over? Because I thought about back here just setting back in just like no matter what, I'm hunting back there for 30 days straight because I know there's a good one back there. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. That's my mm-hmm. story. So I, I I was I benefited from the jump, yep. mm-hmm. the move. That's why I like bow hunting so much. Is nothing is a given. Mm-hmm. It yeah. is a huge challenge, and yeah. you know just small things. I mean, if you'd had a gun, that deer's dead. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's why I like bow hunting so much because everything has to go right. You have to get them in close. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like that challenge. Yeah. Will you bow hunt through the rifle season? I will. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I will strictly bow hunt. Uh, it's not that I'm against gun hunting. I mean, I love gun hunting, but I am a bow hunter. I did draw a tag, a special tag this year uh, for a two day muzzleloader hunt that I might do. But yeah, even with that tag, I can still go in there with a bow, and I probably will. Because really, yeah, because I mean, I'm just, I just like the challenge so much. Yeah, when, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. If I kill that buck with a bow. Me personally, it just means more to oh, me yeah. than if I kill it with a gun. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, we were raised in the same vein, Rusty. You know my history. Yeah, but in the last seven years, I have hunted with a hunted with a muzzleloader and with a rifle more than I ever had in my life, and and I've enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I've enjoyed the liberation. Like my dad is just like <laughs> your dad. Like yeah. my dad doesn't even own a deer rifle. He wouldn't let us hunt with guns when we were growing up and i i love that uh i i enjoy i enjoy carrying a muzzleloader or something but i'm i'm gonna be getting back to my bow hunting roots a little yeah. bit more 
let's say I may be giving away my age here, but I think I started shooting a bow in 1977. No, you didn't. Yeah. Hmm. Not 77. You're not that old. <laughs> I wouldn't have guessed it. <laughs> How old are you? I'll be 49 in November. Okay. So you were like I was born seven in, years old. I was old born in 71. Yeah. Okay. okay. If I'm not mistaken, I believe, because I asked him a while back, when when did I start first, you know, start shooting? Yeah. And he told me about around that age. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because he, he's a huge, huge bow hunter. Yeah. Huge bow hunter. And I, I just, that's how I was brought up. Yeah. You know, so it stuck. Well, I'm 10 years behind you <laughs> because I, uh, I started shooting the bow when I was in the third grade. That's when dad bought us compound bows. Yeah. And, uh, I would have been in the third grade in like 1987. Yeah. Uh, but I'm 41. So yeah. I'm pretty old too. I started rusting, I believe when he was five, just a little stick bow, you know, and then yeah. he just kind of graduated up. I think the first animal he killed with a bow was a turkey. Mm. Yeah. I thought that was pretty pretty good. I think he was 10, maybe, shot a turkey with a bow. I just dropped him off. I had a blind set up and come back. I said, well, did you see anything? I went to pick him up. He said, well, yeah, I killed a turkey. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> At that point, I don't think I'd even killed a turkey with a bow. Uh... But, yeah, he shot a turkey, and he's shot deer at 10 years old with a bow. Yeah. He's bigger than your average kid, though. I mean, he could pull back some pretty good poundage, you know. He's bigger than your average kid right now. Yeah, he's 6'3", about 350. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, anyway. Man, that's awesome. Colby, yeah. do you have any questions, I mean, like specific hunting questions for him or anything? Um, You think about it. If you don't, then – don't you think about it i mean i did have one thought okay like what if you go into an area like i'll just go and hunt with my dad some somewhere mm -hmm. at some point so if you don't have time to scout or anything if you're just going in and just going to hang something or sit somewhere yeah. what do you look for if i didn't have time to scout it i'd go strictly by the map okay I'd go strictly by the so map. So you'd be looking for terrain features. Yeah, just terrain features on the map. If yeah. I if I had zero, if I'd never been in there, never had time to scout it or anything like you said, mm -hmm. I'd just look on the map and say, hey, we're going to hunt right here. Yeah, yeah. that's worth for me. Yeah. We, uh, one time, my dad's got this habit of, of find, calling the local game warden and talking to him and getting some information. Yeah. And so uh, there was this one spot we were hunting for the first time. He was like, the game warden just said, you know, it's public land, but there's only, like, you have to walk a long way to get to the other side of this this water feature. Yeah. If you just hop in the water feature and jump over, you probably do pretty good. Yeah, get in a boat. Yeah, it's just like getting a boat and hop over. And so uh, we did that, and it worked. Right on the map, uh, I saw the spot where uh, the water feature kind of horseshoes around. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of pinches at the top, and there's, like, all, a lot of uh, white oaks in that horseshoe area mm -hmm. and i just walked in there and saw a buck and yeah didn't get a shot at him but i ended up getting a doe that afternoon yeah and and a hog so yeah if you, i mean if area. you didn't have any time whatsoever and it was a shotgun hunt like that or whatever yeah you can just go by the map and you probably do pretty good yeah and back to the game warden deal that's a really good idea i do the same thing mm -hmm. i know all the game wardens and i talk to all of them all the time mm -hmm. yeah, they see a lot they know a lot and most of them will share some information with you. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. they're on, they're driving these roads, you know, all day long. 
Yeah. If they see a big buck cross the road and they're like, hey, I seen a big buck cross back there, that'll give me a starting point. Mm-hmm. And usually you know, because of the nature of the their job and the time when they have to work, mm-hmm. usually a lot of them aren't big hunters. Right. I, I, well, I don't want to – I'm not saying they're not big hunters, but – they're not hunting at normal times, mm-hmm. so they might be willing to give you some intel. Yeah, because mm-hmm. they're not using it for themselves that right. weekend. You know, some guys. Yeah. I know some good game hunter game wardens, but yeah, yeah. I know my uh, dad yeah. starts hunting a lot heavier when he starts seeing more deer hit on the road too. Yeah, a lot of little factors. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, what about calling, Rusty? What's uh like? What do you? What's your? What's your? Give me your. Your uh, bullet point philosophies a, on deer calling. I'm a huge fan of calling. Mm-hmm. Uh, I use a grunt call. I use a little rattling bag. I never get real aggressive unless I'm in Kansas. Okay. Around here with a rattle bag, I'll just barely like tickle them. just like tickling them. You know, I never get real aggressive in Arkansas. I just don't. In Kansas, I do. I mean, I just smash that thing, and they'll come running. But uh, mm. around here, I haven't found that why, to why be real. It, I, mean, I don't I know. know the, I know the answer. I mean, like, I could tell you the answer, but yeah, it doesn't add up. Why doesn't it work here? I I, I really don't know the answer to These that. These deer fight. These deer breathe. Yeah, we've got deer... them fighting on camera all the time. We set all our cameras to video mode, mm-hmm. and... I like, I like video mode a lot better, but I mean, we've got buck fights on camera, on game camera and stuff all the time, just all out, you know. So it's not, because it, what, what the typical talking point would be, would be, well, the buck doe ratios are so bad in Arkansas or wherever that, you know, the, the bucks just aren't fighting as much. Mm-hmm. They're not responding to fighting sounds where if you had like yeah. a one-to-one buck ratio, and there's some of that that's true, but. We have decent buck to doe ratios in yeah. lots of places. Like it's not like we do. It's not like totally off kilter here. No. Uh, yeah. I mean, I just I just haven't had much luck. Aggressive yeah. rattle bag. I mean, just light stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, works better. I don't rattle a whole whole lot in Arkansas. I just yep. I just haven't had the success. Kansas, different story. But here, and I've got I've had every grunt call you know, that has been made just about. And there's one grunt call that I've got that works better than all the rest. I'm not going to say what it is. Oh, really? You're not going to tell us? Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> not going to say. I've got it in my truck right now. I'll show it to you in a minute. Okay. Um, but uh, right but there, there is, I mean, I don't know if it's just me or what, but it there's this good. one game uh, grunt call that, I mean, I I will not use any other but this. Well, one. I'm in the market for a good grunt call. <laughs> well, this is a good. I one. actually I actually looked into uh, a grunt call today. It'd be interesting to see if it was the same one you're talking about. I bet about. it's not. Uh, probably not. <laughs> it's not a mainstream. Mm-hmm. But this one is really obscure. It's this is different than any other grunt call that you've okay. ever seen. I like I like the sound of that. Yep. Um. Okay. What about uh? When do you, when do you call deer? Like when. Uh, well, like yesterday, I called to that. I saw a, a big uh, 140 inch eight point. I mean, that is, it, I mean, it's a Top that's end. a monster for an Ozark Hill Country buck. Yeah. So uh, I called to him with a grunt, and these bucks are not dumb. When they get that big, they are not dumb. Yeah. And I'm a lot of time real hesitant about calling to them when they're in sight like that. But yes. he was headed away from me. Okay. And I thought, well. 
you know, I, what have I got to lose? I'm going to try to get him to turn and come back. Yeah. And when I, he, I got his attention, he took a few steps toward me. And what is, what do you think he did? He craned his neck and looked and looked and looked. He looked and looked and looked. And then he just started circling downwind. Oh, mm. okay. And I knew, I knew as soon as he started that direction, I knew I'd messed up. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was either just let him walk out of sight or, okay. or try. So you feel I like. I tried. And, mm -hmm. and, it, and so he got, you know, you didn't see him, but he got downwind of you. What, what he did, here's what he did, Clay, is when I grunted at it, I just done a light grunt, got his attention. Then I done a, like a beep, 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 like that. Like you're bumping And he dog. started walking to me. And these are open woods. And he stops and he's looking. Well, he doesn't see that deer. And he's not stupid. Mm -hmm. So he starts circling downwind. I believe if I'd have had a decoy, mm -hmm. I don't hunt with a decoy hardly any in Arkansas. In Kansas, it's a whole different ballgame I think there. he would have spooked. I don't think a decoy would have worked. I think a decoy would have worked. Really? He was looking for that buck. If I'd have had a buck decoy there, yeah. I believe he would have come in. But I've hunted it, with a decoy too much. Even in Arkansas, you think it would have worked? I think it might. I think there, I'd have had a better chance, yeah. But would you have not spooked every doe that came within sight of that decoy before the buck got there? Nah. Really? Nah. Okay. There'll be some that'll spook. It'll spook bucks and everything, but man, when a mature buck. A big one. When a mature buck gets out there, they can't mm -hmm. stand it. See, that's the hard part I have with decoys in our, it's at least Arkansas. Now, I understand how they work in the Midwest, mm -hmm. but my experience, it's limited, but I have set over a decoy, and it's spooked every single deer I've ever seen. Yeah. It'll mess with your, as much as I've, I've, I've spent a lot of time in Kansas, and when I'm hunting here in Arkansas like this year, I did not draw a Kansas tag, so I'm going to hunt arkansas if i tag out in arkansas i'll go buy me a missouri license it's over the counter yeah but it messes with your mind a little bit because i've had so much success in kansas and then when you're grunting at a deer like a deer i saw yesterday and you're thinking in your mind man if i just had a buck decoy would he come in or would he not mm -hmm. would he spook would he come in i don't know in kansas it's a no-brainer yeah I would have that decoy out there, but in Arkansas, it's it's messing with your mind a little bit, you know. Yeah. Because I've not had success in Arkansas with a decoy. Mm -hmm. I've tried them, yeah. and I just don't. Yeah. I've just stopped using them in Arkansas. Okay, let me tell you. Let me tell you my thoughts on calling, or at least a simplistic like section of thought on calling. I pretty much grunt at every deer that I see that is not coming within bow range. I it, mean, like, like. And again, this is like one little, like if I'm, if I'm sitting there, my instinct, like if I see a deer that is skirting me, that is not going to come within bow range, I'm going to bite, bite, I'm going to hit him. And most of the time it's gonna, and what I find strange enough before the rut, most does will come to a grunt call. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like. If you grunt, if you see a doe out there at 60 yards that's not coming by you, and I may not even be wanting to shoot a doe, mm -hmm. but I'm wanting to draw all these deer as close to me as possible just in case there's other deer with them or a deer I mean, yeah. you know. And so I've just had a ton of success, especially pre-rut, like before yeah. October the 20th when they're just on kind of feeding pattern. Yeah. Does responding to grunt calls. Um, I've grunted plenty of big buck, you know, some of these deer right here were grunted in. Mm -hmm. Um but here's a but it doesn't always work. Yesterday, now I tried to salvage 
the spook deer yesterday. Once I knew they were for sure leaving, I, you know, grunted at that big buck and it didn't work. You know, he craned his neck and looked and, but they ended up moving off. An hour later, I saw a younger buck that I was pretty certain I wasn't going to shoot, but just, I just saw a racked kind of probably two year old type deer skirting 60, 70 yards away. Not going to be within bow range. Perfect candidate to grunt in. I grunted at that deer and he stopped and looked at me and then just kept going. Like, oh, really? Yeah, he 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 didn't want he, he didn't huh. care a bit about it. A lot of times, two year old boy, they'll just come running. They'll run right to the base of your tree, you know, yeah. and they're looking around. Boy, kind you of can, surprised me. Yeah, immature bucks, man. I tell you, you got to be really careful. They're super super smart. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, talking about rattling, I, I was about to say. And if I'd had time to think about it, I think in Arkansas, I've rattled up two bucks, like mature bucks, like straight up rattled them up. Um, but kill, I couldn't have killed either one of them with a bow. I tried. Yeah. I mean, because they, they come in on full alert, yeah. stop out there at 30 or 40 yards yeah. facing you because you just, you're the point source of this sound. Right. And they stand there for 10 seconds and don't see a, uh, another deer, and they turn around and leave. Yep. So it's not effective. Right. If we were an open, big open country, and, you know, maybe could have had a decoy. And that's mm-hmm. a place where a decoy would have worked. Yeah. But I wasn't trying to kill a deer. I was trying to, you know, every time I rattled in deer, I had a set of rattling horns, and both times it was with horn, actual horns. You know, it was like, the hunt was kind of dead and so i was like i'm just gonna clack these horns together yeah and no telling how many times i've done that and it didn't work twice in 30 years of bow hunting yeah it worked yeah you know um but neither time did i kill the deer because i didn't have a decoy out i and it and i wouldn't have had a decoy out because it's just I was hunting a travel area. Like I was expecting to kill a buck just walking through. Yeah. I didn't need a decoy. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. It's kind of like mishmash strategies. Some some of these big bucks, even in the Midwest, the biggest buck I ever killed, I was hunting with a decoy. And two days in a row, he stopped 80 yards from the decoy and just would not come in. So and he saw the decoy. Oh, yeah. He saw the decoy and everything. And, you know, I got to thinking, you know, this every time I had sighting of this deer, he was always by himself. He's not got any broke nothing, or he's always by himself. He's like a loner, a real passive type deer. Hmm. So two days in a row, he stopped at eighty yards from my decoy and just would not come in at all. He'd just skirt around and and leave like he was scared of it or something. So after two days of that, I took that decoy and I throwed that thing in the woods <laughs> and I killed that buck the next day. Oh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> killed yeah. him the next day. And now what it, did he want to come that way and the decoy was bumping him yeah. away? Yeah. So he just walked by you? Yeah. I didn't even have to call him in or nothing. It was in a tra- I was in a travel corridor. Yeah. Yeah. I was at, I mean, I was hunting a field edge yeah. and there's a trail coming across this field. Yeah. And man, I had, I passed up. I think nine or 10 Pope and Young class deer are bigger because I was hunting this deer. He ended up scoring 186 and an eighth. Wow. 
So, I mean, I had passed up several really nice bucks. I was videoing them, everything. They were yeah. interacting with the decoy and everything. But this buck here, the one I was after, he just would not come in. He's real passive. Mm. And I took that decoy, I <laughs> throwed that thing in the woods, and I killed him the very next day. Mm. I'll be darned. Yeah. <laughs> so this this whole podcast is about how don't use a decoy. Yeah. <laughs> don't rattle. Don't do all this. No, that's good intel, no. man. I've called a lot of deer in by grunting or yeah. using a bleak call too. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that's good stuff. Yeah. What do you tell me your don't don't tell me what you think people want to hear. Tell me the truth, Rusty. Um about scent control. Okay, because listen, here here's my here's my <laughs> philosophy. Like oh. there when scent control products first started coming out. Yeah. The good hunters that were already doing a whole bunch of stuff right, that were taking whitetail hunting really serious, yeah. started using the stuff because yeah. they wanted to become the best that they could be. Mm-hmm. So the guys that were using scent control all of a sudden were the guys that had a ton of success. And the correlation point, oftentimes there's correlation between things, between data points that seem like they're connected, like whitetail hunting success equals using all the commercial scent control products success. And so you make this connection. Mm-hmm. But really, the correlation isn't that. The correlation was that these guys were doing a whole bunch of other stuff right. Now, I'm not anti-scent control. At different times, I have been. I made yeah. a I made a Facebook post. Yeah, a I commented. Years ago. I commented on it. Well, and, and I'm not I'm not totally convinced because the last eight nine years I have used basically zero scent control. Let me ask you this: You believe science, right? I do. I've heard you say it on a podcast. I love science. Okay, I heard you say it on a podcast one time. I love science. You know what this is, don't you? It's chemical science. Okay. I mean. So it works. It, I, I believe it helps. I'm, I'm not going to say, you know, go out and buy all this stuff and you're guaranteed that a deer is not going to smell you. Okay. And it all, and it, and it goes back to the argument about wind. I mean, I mean, there's, I, I have a lot of. I guess off the wall or whatever opinions, but like the spot I hunted yesterday, I, I'm not even worried about the wind. I didn't even pick the tree that I was in based on wind direction or anything. I I picked the tree that I hunted out of where I thought I would get a shot at a deer. The wind, I mean, if, if it's a perfect, if I've got a perfect north northwest wind or whatever, and there's a perfect tree here, and I think all the 90% of the travel is going to be in this one direction. Yeah, I can use the wind in my advantage. But most of the time, I don't even worry about the wind. But okay. it's not because of these products. Well, okay, so what do you do, though, Rusty? Well, I do I, – I, I stay. I try to stay as clean as I can. There is what does that mean? By washing. So you, a lot, you're talking about, like – scent-free soap showers like yeah. literally taking scent-free showers yeah okay but, I can not buy necess- that. but not necessarily a hunting industry scent-free soap okay and not i do not use a hunting industry deodorant i'm not going i'm not going to say what deodorant i use or anti-perspirant oh. whatever you want to call it 
Secrets. I, mm-hmm. there, I do have a few secrets, yeah. <laughs> but it, I do use some stuff. Okay. Uh, but there is one thing that I do use a lot of, and I learned this in the 80s from my dad. I always told him, you know, you should have, back in the early 80s, you should have started, you'd be a millionaire now if you'd have invented some of this scent control stuff. But he started using baking soda. Okay. And I do use a lot of baking soda. Yeah, in your clothes. My dad. In my clothes. I've done the same thing I, I, a I lot. even put it on on myself. Okay. So that is one thing that I use. And baking soda, you know, you just go to the grocery store and buy it. Because it absorbs scent. It absorbs scent. Yeah. I, what about your clothes? Okay, if if we yeah. were to go hunting together this yeah. afternoon, mm-hmm. would you hunt in these clothes you're wearing? Right? Uh, prob- Rusty's wearing camo right now. He just came out of the woods. Yeah. I've done some scouting today. And uh, I just happened to – these are some pants that a company sent, sent us to try out. And but would you go sit in a stand the, right now wearing those? No. Huh. So you, do you have do you carry uh, – do you have scent-controlled boxes in your truck with all your clothes I do. in it? Okay. I that, do. That's what I want to get at. Yeah. I keep my clothes clean, uh, and I wash them. Yeah. And I use a lot of baking soda to wash my clothes. Okay. And I do use some commercial uh, scent-free uh, wash for clothes. Yeah. Uh, and as soon as I get them out, if I can, I like to air dry them outside yeah. if I can in the right place. Okay. And then, then I've got uh, either bags or containers that. If a deer to, had come down wind of you yesterday, would it have smelled you? Uh, may or may not. I had a few deer come down wind that did not smell me. Okay. And uh, it's it gets a little deeper than just, uh, you know, scent controlling yourself, you know, like, I mean the wind direction, you know, what drifts, you know, yeah. all that kind of, there's a lot that goes into it. Here, here's my thoughts on it. The like, thermals. Like the way I don't get winded very often in the morning when thermals are rising because of heating, you know, yeah. raising air temperature. The heat will raise it, it yeah. It's, you know, a lot of the hunting that I'm doing, especially not around here, is uh, mountain hunting where I'm walking back into places or riding a mule in warm temperatures. Mm-hmm. And scent control is just a joke. If you come hunt, if you yep. hunted with me back in there, you might as well smell like a yep. toilet. Yep. I mean, like it, it doesn't matter. Yeah, that is really what I was poking holes at. Yeah, like you know, don't tell me you got to use scent control to kill deer back in there. Or bear. I mean, a lot of yeah. my bear hunting is that way. I mean, I, I am covered in sweat multiple times yeah. per day. Can't take a scent-free shower. Can't yeah. my clothes. So, but now that I'm, uh, so I'm kind of coming back. So basically, when I my dad instilled in us so deep about, I mean, it just made hunting so hard to be scent-free. You know, keep washing clothes, yeah. only wearing clothes one time. It's keeping them scent free boxes. Like I was in that for so long at the peak of whitetail scent control stuff when it first came mm-hmm. out in the mm-hmm. late nineties through the two yeah. that when I started kind of getting out on my own, I was like, Man, all you gotta do is hunt the wind and you don't have to worry about all that stuff. That's really the way I've operated for the last fifteen years. Yeah. And that it's not I don't feel like it's costed me a ton of deer. Because I've killed a lot of good deer hunting that way. Yeah. But I'm starting to go back the other direction. 
especially on this hunting that's you can control things. Yeah. And for me, I live in two different worlds. I live in this like public land, backcountry world yeah. mm-hmm. that I love, but I also live in this world where I'm hunting like farms that I'm driving my truck up to and walking 200 yards to a deer stand. Right. Mm-hmm. Like in, in in that controlled environment, I'm beginning to come back to I might as well yeah. – do scent control what do you think tell me okay i've always looked at it why not do it i mean just say that it i mean it just helps just a smidge to me it's worth doing all that. well let me play the devil's advocate i want you to convince me of something different so i'm not trying to like squelch your idea yeah but i've done everything to a t and still had deer smell oh yeah you you cannot 100 percent. So, i truly believe you so cannot 100 percent. if in like all the energy and effort that i put into whitetail deer hunting if 30 percent of that effort is going towards scent control that <clears throat> that doesn't work yeah. a lot of the time i'm just like i'm cutting that 30 percent off yeah do you understand what i'm saying i understand and so that's basically what i've done for long for 10 years or longer mm-hmm. yeah but i'm coming back to a place where it's like well like in in yesterday's a great example like if i had because i did nothing for scent control yesterday other than walk through a cow pie on the way up there to cover yeah. my ground scent because i was yeah. hunting a cattle farm yeah which is stellar ground <laughs> scent control oh yeah yeah mm-hmm. just they, they, a deer don't smell me where i walk on yeah. that farm i walk through a cow pie every time you know, I had the thought yesterday, if I had done everything to a T, because I didn't sweat going in there. It was cold. Mm-hmm. I was close to my truck. I didn't have, I didn't have to, you know, I wasn't covered in sweat. Uh, you know, would that have, would that doe have walked through my scent? Mm-hmm. Would she have just kind of spooked just a little bit yeah. and walked through and then the buck come through? Yeah. And I think the answer to that question is maybe she would have, but I'm not, and I could have done everything. And spend all that energy and time, mm-hmm. and then they exa- got the exact same results. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, I I can agree with everything you're saying. You know, I do a lot of scent control and do everything that I can. Do you use spray? I do. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I, I it's it's proven that that stuff kills a bacteria. I mean, yeah. it's proven that it kills bacteria. Will it kill all of it? Probably not. Will it kill all the scent on your clothes? Probably not. What if it killed just twenty percent of it? And that just a little bit was just enough to get a deer five yards closer for yeah. a shot. Yeah. Do you what? What's your view on carbon clothes? Man, I don't have a lot of recent intel. I've not paid any attention to it in a long time. So, you know, I was really skeptical of it, and uh, I had a, a friend of mine at work say we were we were talking about stuff like that. He said, "Man, when I was over in Iraq, he said we wore carbon suits." He's like, they were just real thick carbon suits. And he said, we would wear them things for like two weeks without taking a bath. And he said, nobody stunk. Hmm. But he said, when you took that thing off, he said, it it was just about make you puke. Hmm. I mean, the odor was so bad when they took the suit off. So it contained It was was containing all that scent. I'm thinking, man, I mean, Hmm. there there must really be something to it. That's the science. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so and i got to thinking if if you went the carbon route i feel like you would need the you know the pants the shirt the head cover i mean you'd have to really cover everything up but even if you covered say 50 percent of your body with it 
and it's absorbing 50% of your scent, that mm. might help just enough. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's a great argument. And that's why I wanted to talk to you about this because I'm wanting someone to – I'm not happy with my scent control regimen for when I'm in a controlled hunt. Mm-hmm. A lot of my hunting is uncontrolled. I'm backcountry stuff. You just and, – you, and warm weather stuff yeah. too, boy. I mean, if you do all that scent control and you break a sweat on the way in there – all that is like yeah. you pretty, wear merino wool, don't you? Yeah, that's a natural uh, odor inhibitor, isn't it? Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's good. I stuff. do wear some too. Yeah, uh, I don't like the way it stays wet. For I mean, like if you get it wet, it takes forever to dry it out. Mm. But I mean, I do wear, especially undergarments. You must wear, not be wearing first light. <laughs> No, I don't. Yeah. I don't. That's I don't. I don't that wool quick. is actually known for drying out quick. But yeah, the no. merino. Oh, really? I, I, oh, yeah. The that's merino. what it's known yeah. for. The merino. Out, absolutely, mm-hmm. drying out quicker than cotton. Way quicker. Mm-hmm. I know, but I mean, it'll dry out faster than cotton, but it won't. Maybe like not, some synthetic material yeah, dries out the like synthetic, really fast. Yeah, yeah. I'm with you. See, I'm with you. I've been wearing the synthetic material on skin. Under, on skin undergarments. Yes. And I mean, they dry out just like that. I see. And then I put my merino wool on it. It seems like it takes forever to dry out. Yeah. Now, compared to cotton, yeah, I agree with you. Yes, yes. Well, Rusty, me and you both need to – well, you may, you're you still kind of drying out uh, from a long, a long couple of days of hunting. Yeah. I'm going to try to go hunt this afternoon, last couple hours. Yeah. Um, but, uh, no, nah, man – so you're you guys on Instagram are Whitetail Warfare? Yeah, Whitetail Warfare. So you can follow Rusty and his son Rustin, and, and uh, our marketing manager is Dalton Clink Skills. Yeah, Dalton. Yeah, it's us three, and uh, we have a very successful page. We're mainly Instagram. We are on Facebook too, but yeah, our main deal is Instagram right now, and yeah. we're working with some great partners, and it's it's going really good. Yeah, cool. Right yeah, on. you guys post a lot of uh video footage and stuff and yeah, trail camera trail camera footage yeah, we, and our main deal is is trail camera stuff yeah. i mean we really have a lot of trail camera content and it's yeah. pretty cool stuff and and the viewers really like it so yeah but cool right everything on. whitetail everything whitetail yep yep well man i'm glad i'm really glad i caught you just barely caught you mm-hmm. in a yeah. moment when you come by and yeah so anyway awesome to have you on and no like i said i have a ton of respect for you rusty uh, i've always said it that for you as a as a as a hunter as a as a man i i've i've, I've learned a lot from you yeah. you're you really every year you inspire me man because <laughs> I'll, I'll text rusty at like noon yeah and he'll be like i'm in a tree yeah <laughs> and yeah. i'll be like doggone it i gotta get in a tree yeah uh, i'm i'm pretty hardcore i mean i live for this stuff we do it now year you round. you take off a lot of time this time of i year. do yeah i have i still have a full-time job uh dalton has a full-time job and rustin is in his second year of law school right now so yeah uh so you take off like like what's your schedule right now? Yeah, uh, I've basically right now I've got thirty days in a row off. Okay, and so I, I mean I will be logging the hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm pretty picky. I mean if if I shoot one, it's going to be a decent. It'll be Pope and Young size or bigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. Yeah, but uh, yeah, thirty days of vacation right now. Just started hunting. Yep. All right, man. Yeah. Well, good luck to you. 
and uh, appreciate it, man. Yeah, I, I thank you for inviting me here and, and discussing some stuff. It's right awesome. On. Yeah. Keep the wild places wild because that's where the big bucks live. I try. <laughs> <laughs>